there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before, and it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. One of the truly disconcerting things I've found that people who are interested in the fourth way have to deal with is that Gurdjieff said that this system is esoteric Christianity. And people hear the word Christianity and they think Christianity. They think the Christianity that they know. But he didn't say Christianity. He said esoteric Christianity. Esoteric means hidden. It means interior. It doesn't mean exterior. It doesn't mean out there in the open and easily understood by everyone. It means it's much more difficult to understand. It is an entirely different form of Christianity. There are many forms of Christianity, as you well know, in our world, and none of them are very exciting. None of them are very admirable. Some of the ideas are admirable, but actually in practice, they're not very exciting. They're not very admirable. And when people think of Christianity, that's what they think about. They think of this outer thing, this outer manifestation in, in all of its many dysfunctional forms. And they're not thinking about what Gurdjieff said. They're not listening to what he said because they can't listen because they don't have ears they can't hear. They have eyes, but they can't see, or they have ears, but they can't see, but they don't have inner ears. They can't hear what he's saying because something is clogging up their ears. And what's clogging up their ears is the mud of this world. They got mud packed in their ears. They got mud over their eyes. They can't wash it away because they don't want to. They think that's their salvation. They think that understanding this world is their salvation. They think that if they can understand this world, then they can live in it and they can get by in it and they can make their way in it and they can have what they want. Gurdjieff said no. Buddha said no. Jesus said no. All these people said no. That's not the way it is. You can't do that. You have to find this inner path. And that is really what this work is about. And it's very disconcerting to many people because they approach it from an intellectual basis. And when they approach it, they approach it as if they can get something from it. They can add something to themselves. And they don't see that it's about removing something from yourself, not adding something to yourself. Goodness, truth, beauty, virtue, all of these words are problem words for us because we are divided in mind and heart. A house divided cannot stand, and so we can't stand. And that's why we fall and we falter and we come apart at the seams when life buffets us, and life does buffet us. It's just full of all kinds of trials and tribulations and unexpected little surprises that are not very pleasant. This is why the work calls it a pain factory, because it is grinding against our desires to have everything our way, because life doesn't care about you. It doesn't care about how you want things. It cares about how it wants things. And you are its servant. It is leading you. It is taking you where it wants you to go. And there's nothing for you to do about that in life. You have to find that inner path before you can find your way through that. The common meaning for those words is moral excellence, kindness, generosity. When we think of goodness, truth, beauty, virtue, we think of moral excellence, kindness, generosity. Maybe we don't think of that, but that's what the dictionary thinks, and that's what people in our world think. I prefer another part of that definition, which is the beneficial or nourishing element of food. 
yet we can't even agree on that. If it comes to food, we cannot agree on the beneficial, nourishing elements of food. What we think is beneficial and what we think is nourishing, we'll all disagree about. Our society is living proof that we are completely dysfunctional when it comes to our diets. We're killing ourselves every time we eat, and we don't care because we don't agree, because we don't know what nourishment is, we don't know what beneficial is. All we know is what we want, what we like, what feels good, tastes good, what has good associations. We don't know anything about beneficial or nourishing. And even if we do, we turn a a deaf ear and a blind eye to it. Why? Because we act from the pleasure principle. Just this simple. We act from the pleasure principle. If you only do what gives you pleasure, you don't work on yourself. Your way of handling that is to say, well, I don't only do what gives me pleasure. And you pick the one thing that you do that doesn't give you pleasure. And you say that that is working on yourself. But that's not it. The fact is... When you submit to the pleasure principle, you are not working on yourself, no matter what you think. It's not limited to physical comfort, physical pleasure, the lusts of the flesh, this pleasure principle. They're signs of an untrained mind. When you see those things, all they are is signs of an untrained mind. An untrained mind can't decide what it wants to do. An untrained mind can't have a better group of eyes making decisions. An untrained mind will allow little eyes with little desires and short-sightedness to make the decisions of what we're going to do, what we're going to eat, what we're going to do, what pleasures we will indulge in. Another way of saying it is, it is self-will run riot. Another way of saying it is, it's emotional weakness. Emotional weakness comes from lack of proper valuation. When we don't have proper valuation, we are emotionally weak. We don't have the strength to let better eyes make decisions for us, to let the work eyes make decisions for us, to let the work itself make decisions for us, and then abide by them because we do not value them and... Because we do not value them, the little eyes come in with their values, which is, well, I like ice cream and I deserve this because I've worked hard. The little eyes always twist things, they always lie, they always pull down because that's what they do to get their way. Self-will is misleading because we don't have one self or one will, but we have many selves and many wills. And it's the root of conflict and a destroyer of potential peace for us. So the conflict that we have in us is not because life doesn't do what we want it to do. The conflict is because we don't know what we want it to do. The conflict is that the little eyes that decide what they want life to do don't have a clue what is nourishing and beneficial for you. They can't see that far. They can't think that big. They only can think of themselves. They can only think of their instant gratification, their desires right now. And that is all hooked up with what they acquired through associations, through imitation. And it has nothing whatever to do with what's beneficial for you or what's nourishing for you. We must ask ourselves at some point, what gives us essential pleasure? And what forms of pleasure are due to the false personality? Pleasure isn't a bad thing. Where it originates, the author of pleasure, is what we need to be asking ourselves about. What is it that determines moral excellence, kindness, generosity, goodness? It's not its destination, but its point of departure that determines what it is. So what that means is the end really doesn't justify the means. That's what it really means. What it really means is how we do something from where we do it is what's important. And the results can be allowed to take care of themselves. Just live from the inside, and the outside will naturally follow the order. Because life truly, the way it really works, is life is lived from the inside out. 
It's interesting, Jesus said about those scribes and the Pharisees, you wash the outside of the cup, but the inside is full of corruption. And of course, he's talking about us because we are the Pharisees. <laughs> it's not people who lived 2,000 years ago, religious people who lived 2,000 years ago. We are the Pharisees. He's talking about you and I. He's talking about the Pharisees in us, that thing in us that lives by pretension, that thing in us that pretends to be something that it's not, that thing in us that acts some way other than how it actually is internally, that thing in us that puts on a mask to mask what's really going on inside of us. That is what he's talking about. That's a Pharisee. And if you can't see yourself in that, then you're blind. And if you're blind, then you need to have your eyes opened. You need to be healed of that. You need to be able to see. And you won't be able to see until you want to see. It's interesting, the story about blind Bartimaeus. You know, Jesus is walking by and there's this blind man named Bartimaeus. They tell him, oh, here comes Jesus. And he, <laughs> he starts screaming, Jesus, Jesus, really raised on his big rock. Jesus, Jesus, the son of David, calling to him. And all of the disciples are saying, shut up, shut that guy up. And other people are trying to shut him up. But he screams louder and louder until Jesus finally stops. And he says, what do you want? He said, that I may see. He said, okay, okay, go your way. Your sight's restored. And he could see. And it's not a story about some man in an outer way who was literally blind because of his eyes. Or maybe it is, but who cares? That's not what the story is about. The story is about our inner blindness. And only by really wishing to see so much that we're willing to, to give up our pride, to give up our vanity, to look like fools to everybody around us, to want to see the truth so badly that we're willing to give up our pride and vanity. That's what Bartimaeus represents. He represents someone who wanted to see more than he wanted to look good. And that's not us, people. That's not us. You have to look at this and you have to see the truth about this. When it comes down to it, we want to look good more than we want to see. And there are lots of reasons for that that I can't go into right now because we don't have the time. But we'll go into it in the future, bit by bit, as we deconstruct the false personality. What confuses us about others and not about ourselves is how we can act externally without internal agreement, without harmony. We don't understand how people can say one thing and do another, but we understand how we can. When we do it, it's justified. When we do it, we had no option. When we do it, well, what else were we going to do? When we do it, we don't even have to think about it. It's automatic. Police officer pulls you over and he says, how fast are you going? You lie. Automatically, you don't think, well, let's see, what's a good lie? What, will I, what, what can I get him to believe? Or while you're sitting in the car, you know, as soon as you see the lights and you're sitting in the car waiting for him to get to the car, you know, you're thinking, what am I going to say? What, what's my excuse going to be? In other words, what's a good lie? That's what we don't want to see about ourselves. We don't want to see that. We don't want to see that outside we say, oh, yes, we tell the truth and we live the life that we want to live. But inside, we don't have a clue. Or inside we're saying, yes, I, I want to tell the truth, but outside we're lying. So we're wearing this mask. We're acting this part that is not in harmony with what's really inside of us. The word for that action is hypocrisy. It's the practice of claiming to have moral standards or beliefs to which one's own behavior does not conform. Pretense. It's called hypocrisy, and it's what we are. We are hypocrites. Now, it's very interesting that the Greek word for hypocrite simply means an actor, someone who acts some way that he is not. So you could have a man acting like a woman or a woman acting like a man or a clown acting like a king or a king acting like a fool. But it's not what they are. And that's all there is to it. We have this big thing on hypocrite. Oh, he's a hypocrite. Yeah, right. 
It's because we judge them so harshly that we are unwilling to see what hypocrites we are. But if you will remove your judgment from them, it will immediately open your own eyes and begin to see that you too are an actor, that you too pretend, that you too act like something on the outside that you're not feeling on the inside, that you're incongruent, that you're disharmonious, that you're out of harmony with your own inner life, and that the outside and the inside don't match. In essence, what we are trying to do is bring the inside and the outside into focus. Actually, what we have right now is a double image. There are some cameras that there's a ring in the center and a a horizontal line there. And you have to bring that ring so that there's only one ring and one line. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring ourselves into focus. But the only way we can do this is not looking through the eyes that we have acquired out here. We have to look through our own essential eyes, but we can't do that now because they're weak. So we need glasses that will help us to see what we can't see. And that's what this work is. That's what esoteric teachings are. Esoteric teachings are the glasses that help our weak vision so that we can begin to see what we're really like, so we can begin to bring ourselves into focus and see what we're actually like. And it's not so horrible when you stop judging and condemning others. If you stop judging and condemning others, it's much more easy to see what you're judging and condemning in them in yourself. When you can accept it in others, you can begin to accept it in yourself. Or vice versa. If you can begin to accept it in yourself, you will begin to accept it in others. Either way, it doesn't matter to me how you do it. Just do it. The thing is is that none of this is conscious, all of our hypocrisy. It happens simply when our center of gravity, when our valuation, when our life is on the outside, not the inside. So basically, we're inside out, and we need to be outside in. We need to have the outside and the inside match. But right now, we're not doing that. There's no way that we can do that because our center of gravity, our feeling of I, our sense of self is in the outer. And so we don't know what's inside. All we know is what's outside. But we have to find what's inside. But it's dark in there. So we need the light of consciousness, self-observation. When we're inside out, we act from desire to produce the good impression, to add to our reputation, to be well thought of. If Bartimaeus wished to be well thought of and have a good reputation, and produce a good impression, screaming at the top of his lungs, Jesus, Jesus, son of David, was not getting it for him. The people around him were irate. They wanted to shut him up, stop him from embarrassing them and himself. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. That's from Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. Those scribes and Pharisees were pretty strict and, quite frankly, very difficult to surpass in an outside way. Their righteousness really did surpass ours, really, truly, in an outer way. They tithed, they did this, they did that. They kept all of these commandments. Inside, they were hypocrites. Inside, they were completely different. But outside, they went through all the rituals. They went through all the steps. And it's difficult. It's very strenuous to try and live a life like that. You know, you try and live a life like that. Look how strenuous it is and look how many times you fall. So it's very difficult to beat them at their game. So I recommend not trying to beat them at their game. I recommend playing a new game. Instead of trying to get everything right out here, start to get something right inside and let out here take care of itself. If you can see what's in here, you will automatically begin to manifest what's in here out there. When we act from the outside, we are impure. We're in need of a powerful cleaning agent. What is powerful enough to clean the scum and the impurities and the caked-on crap that we have acquired in this mud hole of life. Self-observation. The problem with self-observation is it's a long journey, and it's a journey of self-revelation. So it's a journey we don't really want to make. 
because we don't really want to see ourselves. We don't really want to see what we're actually like. We don't really want to see where our treasure is. We don't really want to see where our valuation is. And so we won't look. We don't want to see it. Our destination is seeing and acknowledging what is not really us, what is not imaginary I. But the problem is, in order to see what is not really us, not imaginary I, we've got a lot of imaginary I to see first. We've got a lot of what really is us to see first. We've got to see what we don't want to see. We've got to be able to face what we do not wish to face. What stands in our way is the note me. Remember what the note me is? Personal difficulties. Very good. I knew if I repeated it three or four weeks in a row, (laughs) we'd, we'd remember it. Personality can never become passive while we live life outside in because that's its game. False personality's game is living life from the outside in. Letting the outside determine what will happen inside. Letting the outside rule over what happens inside. Inside, you feel this desire to tell the truth. Outside, it's squelched by the demands of the personality to keep that weakness hidden. To keep that thing that is not nourishing, not beneficial in an outer way squelched so that it can't interfere with the outer plans and the outer results that you value more than anything else. False personality is hurt and offended by life all the time. When you are hurt, when you're offended, when you feel attacked, you are false personality animated. You are giving life to the puppet. You are giving life to the marionette. You are giving life to what you are not. We're born pure, undeveloped essence into a world of sleeping, lying people where our essential growth stops because essence can only grow through truth. And in a world of lying people, there's not a lot of truth. And because there's not a lot of truth, essence doesn't have much to feed on. And because it doesn't have much to feed on, it can't grow. But because the false personality feeds on lies and untruth on what is false, it becomes stronger and stronger and stronger. We're surrounded by acquired personality, local attitudes, imitated things, unreal things, rather than internally seen truth. Well, you can't see internal truth if you don't look. And this is the beginning of this journey of self-observation, this journey of self-revelation, looking inside to see what is actually there. And we don't want to look inside to see what is actually there because it is so distasteful and unpleasant to our self-valuation, self-admiration, pride, and vanity. To say nothing of our great plans for ourselves. We have plans for ourselves. I'm sitting here looking at planners, schemers. You people spend your lives scheming and planning to advance yourself in an outer way, to build your kingdom in an outer way. No wonder you don't want to look within. That would take precious resources from your plans out there. It would take force from your outer world that would have to go to something that isn't going to support your outer world, according to our perception. And that may be a right perception. So thus, we're in disharmony. Our truth, our beauty, our virtue, and our goodness are all wrong. Because our truth, our beauty, our virtue, and our goodness are all dependent upon one thing. They're dependent upon what we want out there. What is beauty? Well, beauty is what makes me look good. What is truth? Truth is what helps me get what I want. What is goodness? Goodness is having what I want. It's all wrong. We take ourselves from the outside rather than the inside, which is all wrong. Our feeling of I is all wrong. The reason that we want all of this stuff out there to be the way we want it to be, the reason we are trying to amass crap so that we can feel secure, the the reason we're building these mud huts is to protect ourselves from the pain factory, is to protect ourselves from the inconsistencies of life, is to protect ourselves from the fact that we can't control life. 
So what we're trying to do is we're trying to cut out a little portion of life that we can control, where big life can't come in and mess with our plans and knock down our house of cards and scatter our collected crap that we have put all of our trust in, all of our faith in, all of our hope in, all of our valuation in. We've lost our inner relationship to ourselves and developed the false realness. That false realness is false personality. Because we have no inner relationship to ourselves and we have no inner relationship to ourselves because we have valued what is not real about us, the false bit of us, the outside of us. We long to find our way home from this outworld, but to what? To where and how do we return? All this is is a sentimental longing, a wistful wish, a dream for us. Oh, if only I could return to that. Oh, if only I could get to heaven. Oh, if only I could get to paradise. Oh, if only. And it's all sentimental. If only I could get peace. You don't want peace. You want what you want in the outer world, and that's why you don't have peace. You don't want light. You want what you want in the outer world, and that's why you don't have light. You don't want truth. You want what you want in your outer kingdom, and that's why you don't have truth. We even take this feeling to return home wrongly. We take it outwardly as dislike of everyone and everything, as discontent, as not feeling properly treated. So why? We we, we long to return to our true essential self. Why? To get away from them, to get away from all those horrible people who are spoiling our plans, who are standing in our way, who are keeping our good, our outer good from us, who are disrupting our play. Because we're actors. We're directors, too. We've staged this big play. And now here we are entertaining all of life. Like all of life cares about our play. All of life cares about what we're doing. We we actually believe this. We actually believe that other people care more about us than they care about themselves. It's absurd, but we believe it. When you know yourself, you don't care about them. You lie every once in a while. Oh, yes, I do. I do care about them. But you know the truth is you don't. Deep down inside, you know that if it comes to you or him, well, sorry, pal. (laughs) Too bad for you. Every man for himself. You got to do what you got to do. If this return was easy, everyone would have done it already. We've got to know what to do about it. Or it remains a nostalgic, sentimental longing or wistful affection for the past, typically for a period or place with happy personal associations. That's what nostalgia is. Nostalgia is a sentimental longing or wistful affection for the past, typically for a period or place with happy personal associations. So because you went to Sunday school and they told you about the streets of gold and the golden harps and the wings and, oh, all these wonderful things that you're going to have in heaven, in the New Jerusalem. So like a child, you wistfully long for that because of your associations, because they told you that's what it would be. It would dry every tear and there would be no more pain and no more sadness and no more sickness and no more death. And there would be these trees by the river and they would bear fruit all year round and you would be able to go and eat the leaves for your healing and eat the fruit and blah, 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 blah. And we take it all in an outer way. And none of it is meant in an outer way. It's all esoteric symbolism to teach us something about our internal world. But we don't know that because they teach it to children who who can't possibly understand that. And they teach it like it's an outer thing. And so people believe it and then they go on believing they think they know what it means now. And they never let that go and find the internal meaning of it, the esoteric meaning of it. It's sad, really. We think we're doing them good, and actually, we're just sealing their fate, making sure that they stay like us, making them twice as fit for hell as we are ourselves. Instructions are scattered throughout life, but they're all mixed up and not in their right order. It's like directions out of order. 
If you take directions and you just turn them around, start from a different place or start backwards, or take one direction and put it in the wrong place, you'll never get where you're going, not by following those directions. They can be the right directions, but if they're in the wrong order, you won't get where you're going. So it says, go to the second street, make a right. But you have turned that around, so it's go to the third street, make a left. Then, after that, go to the second street, make a right. And it was supposed to be just the opposite. You won't get where you're going. And this is how we are. We've got these instructions. We've got these directions. They're scattered throughout all kinds of things. The Bhagavad Gita, the Bible, all kinds of places. The Vedas, the Upanishads. But we don't see their proper order. So when we follow directions, we don't get where we're going. They have to be in their right order. And so we end up getting even more lost by following them. And this is what religion does. If, if you look at it, people get the directions, but they have them all screwed up. They have them all turned around, so they don't end up where they say they want to go. They say they want to love all people. They say that all men are brothers. And then they go kill each other and crack each other's skulls who don't believe the same thing they believe. Well, we believe that you're supposed to be immersed in water when you're baptized, and you believe that you're supposed to be sprinkled. And they kill each other over this. The church killed, exterminated the Anabaptists because they believed something differently, because they didn't believe the same thing, because they didn't go by the doctrine, the dogma, what had been determined, this is the way. They had their directions all wrong. And so they ended up not doing the very thing that they said they wished to do, which was, men will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Well, we do love one another, it's just them we don't love. It's all that justification, all that lying, all of that changing the directions around so that we don't end up where we say we want to be. The work says we must awaken before we die and die before we may be reborn. We must awaken to our multiplicity of being, to our negative emotions, to our internal considering, to our identifying with everything, to the different eyes in us that speak in our name and to our internal inner contradictions. We must awaken to that. But we don't want to awaken to that because it's very unpleasant, very distasteful, because it shatters our images of ourselves. It shatters our icons. We have to become iconoclasts. We have to be willing to smash these beautiful images that we have made of ourselves, these darling images that we have made of ourselves, these beautiful pictures that we've made of ourselves, these beautiful sculptures that we've made of ourselves. Everything's perfect. Oh, we're so perfect there. But they must be destroyed. They must be destroyed so that we can see what we actually are. But we're unwilling to destroy them because it's unpleasant, very unpleasant. This is reaching the note me in the work octave. This is the realization of personal difficulties. This is realizing what I must do can't be done. And this is why we cannot make it to the note fa, to transformation, because we realize it cannot be done. I cannot do this. You start to look at what you actually are, and you realize beyond the shadow of a doubt that you cannot do it. And so what's the remedy for that? Well, stop looking at what you actually are and go back to what you could do. Go back to building what you can build. Go back to doing what you can do. And that's what we do. We turn away at the note me. We reach our personal difficulties and we turn away. Maybe not fully turn away. We still play like we're working. But the truth is, we've turned away. All this is necessary before we can die. Or we don't know what we must die to. We even then begin to die to the wrong things. Dying to the wrong things. What is that? It's like the guy who came to me one time <laughs> and his grandfather was a very devout rabbi. And when I say very devout, I mean very devout, Hasidic. They would not take the Bible into the bathroom because it was unclean. All kinds of very strict rituals. 
And this kid, he was a kid, you know. His problem was masturbation. He thought it was evil to masturbate, just unclean, horrible thing to masturbate. So he would sleep with two or three pairs of pants on, and then he would tie his hands at the wrists to the legs of a chair. And he would sleep on the floor tied to the chair so that he didn't touch himself and defile himself with that nastiness. That's exactly what I'm talking about. We die to the wrong things. That doesn't matter. You know, it's like scratching your head when it itches. Oh, well, I, I don't want to scratch my head, so I wore a helmet and tied my hands to the chair so that I don't scratch my head because that's a bad thing. But it's all external. And what we're looking for is an internal path. What we're looking for is an inner way. What we're looking for is an inner journey, not an external path. And as we take this inner journey, all the external things will fall into place. They'll all be ordered perfectly because order is heaven's first law. Order is the first law of this universe. It's a created universe and it's an ordered universe. And we can harmonize ourselves with that order if we turn within and walk this inner path. If we wish to live more consciously, we can't simply live mechanically all day long if we're doing this work. If we're doing this work, you can't live your life mechanically. You can't do it. You just can't keep doing it. You must stop. You must begin to put the brakes on in that part of your world. But we don't. We keep on saying things like, oh, yeah, I know that about me. Oh, well, well, that's great. Put the brakes on. It doesn't mean you have to fight. It doesn't mean you have to struggle. It just means put the brakes on. Stop. Well, but, but I can't stop. Great excuse. Stop anyway. Stop what you can stop. Stop when you can stop. You're right. You can't stop. Now stop what you can stop and stop when you can stop. But stop this nonsense about, well, I can't. So, oh, well, I'll just accept it. There's nothing I can do about it. The work says I can't do, so I can't do. So I'm just going to let it run. No. I was on this football team. We were playing this team that was undefeated. And it's because they had Tyrone Schaefer. Tyrone Schaefer was the fastest runner in the world that we ever saw. And this guy got the ball. And you just people just go sit on the bench. Just let him run the touchdown, get over with. First of all, if you ran after him, you couldn't catch him. I was probably one of the fastest runners on our team. I remember one time he, he got the ball and he was running downfield. And I was running after him. He turned around and looked at me. I was running full speed. He turned around and looked at me, saw me right behind him. And he just walked away from me. Just ran away, just like, I was, just like I'd stopped. And I was running as fast as I could. It's depressing. You can't stop him from scoring, so your only chance is, well, maybe you can score. But they had a great defense, too. I think I got my hand broken in that game and I got kicked in the nose and my nose was bloody and swollen and, and I was still playing and I was playing both offense and defense because I didn't know any better because I thought you're in the game, play, play, play as hard as you can, try to win, you know, do the best you can. So here comes Tyrone Schaefer coming down the field and I'm there in front of him. So it's like, oh, what am I going to do? There's no way I can tackle him. There's no way I can bring this guy down. So I just threw my entire body in front of him. And he crunched me and went over me and made a touchdown. And uh, the coach said later, you got to do what he did. You can't give up. Just throw yourself in front of him. Slow him down. Do anything, but don't give up. There are times in life that you need to give up. And there are times in life that you need to throw yourself in front of yourself. And yourself is the problem. Your outer self is the problem. And using this work as an excuse to let your self-will do what it wants. It's not right. That's not how this work works. Throw yourself in front of it. Even though your essential self is very tiny compared to Tyrone Schaefer, even though it's very tiny, throw that self in front of the false personality. Get it in the gear. Maybe you'll catch its shoelaces and trip it up. Maybe. One time out of a hundred. But that's all you're looking for. Stop it. Slow it down. Make the effort. The work speaks of people being asleep and imagining they're fully conscious of everything that they do. The work is speaking of you and I. The painful truth is we are not properly conscious. 
the worst part of that is because we're not properly conscious, our minds are completely open to lies. We can tell ourselves lies about this work. We can tell ourselves lies about how we're doing it. We can tell ourselves lies about what we can and can't do. Because the work says you can't do, we use that as an excuse to not do what we don't want to do. The pleasure principle again. Only now we're using the work as an excuse to act according to our own pleasure principle. To start the journey home, we need inner meaning and self-observation. We must see that false personality is acquired, is false, and we've got to see it again and again and again. Not for days, not for months, but for years until we begin to separate from it internally. Stop saying I to it. Stop taking it as I and stop putting our force into it. All the while, you'll be hurt and hit, just like Tyrone Schaefer walking over you to get to the goalposts. And it hurts. Trust me, I was there. And it hurts in more way than one. It didn't just hurt physically. It also hurt emotionally. It hurt my pride. It hurt my vanity. It hurt my sense of self. To have someone run faster than me, be stronger than me, and crush me when I gave my all. And he crushed me as if I were a fall leaf. (laughs) And blew me away. It's a devastating thing. All the while that we're being hurt and hit, we can rest assured in one thing. We're in the right atmosphere. You're in the right game. If you're being hurt and hit, you're in the right game. If you're not being hurt and hit, think about it. That's not football. If people are bringing you pina coladas and fanning you, if you're getting everything you want, if you're fat, dumb, and happy, you have succumbed to the pleasure principle. If you're not being hurt and hit, you're not on the field. If you're not on the field, you're not playing the right game. If you're not playing the right game, I don't care what you think about this. I don't care what you think about yourself. I don't care what you think about your God and how he's going to deliver you and save you and rescue you and bring you into the fullness of peace and happiness in the kingdom. I don't care what you think. You're in the wrong game. And if you're in the wrong game, you can't win the right game. The false personality will be passive and the journey will begin when we stop saying I to it, when we stop taking it as I, when we stop putting our force into it, when we start to really get hurt and hit. Then we'll know that we are on our way. Then we'll know that the journey has begun. Now, you may notice that the journey began at some point, but now it's not so bad. There's a reason for that. You're sitting on the bench. Get off the bench, get back in the game. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or a person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at SolidRockVista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.